Welcome back to the McCann Dogs podcast, episode four, I think, of season two. We are just uh, making our way through season two like we've been doing it the whole time. You know, when we took our first break from season one to season two, I, it was almost two years. I think mm-hmm. our last episode of season one was something like June 2019. Yeah. And that wasn't the plan. We just no. got derailed by life yeah. happening yeah. with COVID. <laughs> yeah. Things changed. But we're excited that uh, to be back. We're excited to see all of the listens on our, uh, our podcast platforms where, you know, I'm, I'm – uh, you never really know how these things are going to turn out, and it's so much fun for us to do, and we Definitely. hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, that seems to be the case. Um, but uh, today's today's topic, I think, is the kind of thing that anyone with a dog in training, they can apply this to their training. And uh, Shannon, you've come up with an acronym mm-hmm. uh, that is makes it more memorable. And, and you know, there's so much on a new dog owner's plate when it comes to training and otherwise that it's nice to have some of these uh, mental triggers, you know, these things that are easy to remember. And um, the, the acronym, let's talk a little bit about why you created uh, the acronym and ge- what sort of things it covers in uh, the average dog owner's training. Yeah, you bet. So it's actually the word meeting and uh, it just sort of evolved. I can never really tell where these ideas come from. They just sort of ping somewhere and then they start taking form. But the idea is behind it is meeting your new puppy or meeting your new dog, whether it's a puppy or an older dog, this is a great acronym to rely on to help you raise the best possible dog while they're doing their training. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll actually drop the acronym in the show notes just so that you can, because uh, I find sometimes when I see these things, it's even more memorable mm-hmm. than when I listen to or read them. But um, we need to get to the first, the, the M of meeting. You so uh, the first M you have is uh, for manage. Let's talk a little bit about how managing your dog can help you to be more successful in their training. Yeah, you bet. Management is all about what you do when you're not able to focus and direct your dog's behavior. So a young dog, for example, or a puppy, they don't know how to take responsibility for their actions yet. They don't know the rules that you have in place, so they're bound to make the wrong choices when they're out and about. And that might include chewing the furniture. It might include chewing the walls. It might include stealing socks. It, You know, any number of things that you don't want them to do, getting into the garbage, etc. So managing them allows you to keep them from rehearsing those bad things because... Once you start going down some of those slippery slopes, it can become a real issue. You know, the garbage, for example, if you end up with a dog that gets reinforced because they find wonderful things in the garbage, or those of you that have counter surfers, you know all about this. You know, as soon as they've gotten up on that counter once and gotten to steal a piece of bread or something really rewarding for them, they're going to try that again and again and again. So managing them includes things like crating when you're not able to watch them so that they can't keep getting reinforced that wrong thing. You know, the last thing I would ever want to do is have my dog continue to rehearse those bad behaviors because that's just going to keep fueling and driving that behavior. And it's going to make my job much, much harder in the long run. So the management part, keeping my dog on leash before he understands a recall command so that there's no chance for him to ignore my come command, creating him so he can't destroy my home. And that also will make sure that he's safe because there's all sorts of things that could, uh, could damage my dog and really hurt him. You know, if he gets up up to no good when I'm not watching him. Management is the crucial component of keeping your dog safe. You mentioned a couple of really specific examples, but I think for any dog owner, for if there's some behavior that they don't like or some skill that needs to get better, then you can apply the M in meeting 
managing your dog a little. I'm thinking about all of the times someone said, oh, I can't stop my dog from digging in the backyard. Mm-hmm. You know, my dog is continues. They're having accidents in the house. Uh, management makes all of the difference in the world. My dog barks at the back at my neighbor, you know, manage that, manage that yeah. situation. Uh, whether you're using a crate uh, because you can't supervise a long line, a house line, whatever the thing is, management is so, so important for the reasons that Shannon just mentioned. The next one that you talk about is the E in meeting and it's engaged. So how does engaging with our dog uh, benefit their training? So the engage portion is what you do with them when they're outside of that management, when they're outside of the crate, for example. So our young dogs will spend a lot of time in our crate, in their crates. Uh, If you have an older dog that doesn't necessarily understand the rules of the house yet, they're going to spend time in their crates. But we don't want to transition from that crate to just letting them have the run of the house as well, especially if they don't know the skills that we're expecting from them yet. We want to make sure that we give them an opportunity to fairly learn and to interact with us so that they're not just learning to do their own thing. When they come out of the crate or when you're working with them, it's a great opportunity to engage, to play, to direct the behavior. So rather than just letting them have free time in the house, which really doesn't bring a lot of value to your training situation, there's so much time, hopefully later on down the road, for your dog to enjoy freedom as a well-trained dog and you won't have to worry about giving them any sort of direction. But right now, when they're young and they're still unsure of the rules, when they're outside of their crate, we should be engaging with them. So it should be a productive time period. Use that time to train and to interact with them. Use that time to play and to train tricks even. You know, all the things that will help to build your relationship and also build skills for your dog. That's what the engagement should lead you to. The amount that you can learn about your dog in that time as well. You know, engage means figuring out what they like. You know, how... um do they like the bubbly, high-pitched uh, voice praise? Do they like gruff and growly and fun, uh, you know, deeper uh, motion? You know, figuring out what really makes your – gives your dog motivation is uh, what I think engaging – it's what it's taught me. You know, what I learned about uh, training dogs and that every dog is just a little bit different. I know um, engaging with, you've talked in the past about using a running to the water or something as a reward. And you would have to be pretty aware of what your dog likes to even identify that as something. And engaging can get you to the point where you see that with your dog. Absolutely. You will learn a lot about your dog. And it didn't take me long to learn about Ned that he loved all things water. And as soon as there was water in any capacity, whether it was a puddle, whether it was a stream or an actual pond, I almost had no focus from that puppy because he was so enthralled with the water. So we had to use that to our advantage. I took him further away from water so that I could get some focus from him. And then I used water as a reward. So I controlled access to water, which made me really, really valuable to him. Because if he wanted the water, he had to go through me. Yeah. Do, do, does he love the hose? You like the garden Oh, anything. Hose? Yeah. Anything water. If I had a water bottle and started, you know, right. splashing, splashing it, it, he would lose his mind and be so excited about it. It's just wonderful with water. With a to- Nova Scotia <laughs> duck tolling retriever, yeah. right? I mean, it just makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next E in meeting stands for enrich. Now, there's, we have some pretty, um, maybe unique, uh, a unique perspective on what enrichment is in your dog training and uh, how how you can find benefit from enriching your dog's life and how some of the things that we don't believe in are, are that 
great for training. Let's talk about how Enrich uh, impacts your dog training in meeting. Yeah, you bet. So enriching is making your dog's life better somehow. And I always explain this as there's two forms of enrichment. And I actually have a document out there that um, has enrichments from column A and enrichments from column B. And the enrichments from column A are the things that you want to do a lot of with your dog. There are things like trick training. There are things like skill training. They're engaging with you with tug and play and teaching them rules surrounding play, etc. Things that enrich your dog's life but also have a benefit towards training are things that you should do a lot. The enrichments from column B are the things that don't really benefit your training whatsoever, but they do enrich the dog's life. And they're certainly not, think of these as, these are the Disney World pieces of dog training. So with these enrichments, there are things like the ball pits, things like snuffle mats, things like daycare, um, enrichments that make your dog's life better without involving you. And those things, while they seem really wonderful, of course, we want our dogs to have a great life. We want our kids to have a great life. We want our dogs to have a great life and we want to enrich them, but we can only do so much of that enrichment. If your dog gets all of their enrichments from daycare, as an example, when they get home, they really won't see any value in you because they're already tired, right? They've already been satiated. We want to use enrichments like tug and play so that we can build not only rules along with our game, but also desire to play with us. We want our dogs to really enjoy playing and interacting with us so that we can use the enrichments that benefit. You know, the ones that the the enrichments like snuffle mats and whatnot, sniffing on walks, those are things that will benefit the dog, but they don't necessarily benefit the team. They don't necessarily benefit the training efforts, etc. So I always say, if you do nothing whatsoever with your dogs and the only enrichment they get in their life is when they get to sniff on a walk, absolutely let that dog sniff on a walk. But if you have training aspirations, if you want your dog to you know, have good skills and be a nice team player with you and you want to enjoy your time with your dog – Give them enrichments that benefit you both, things that are interactive with the two of you and don't just result in the dog getting all sorts of reinforcement without you being part of it. I wonder if the uh, our podcast listeners it could be um, a little introspective maybe and, and think about their own dogs, their own training, and, and whether their dog is the kind of dog that listens fairly reliably, regardless of your level of training, does your dog seem interested in what you're up to and, and, uh, you know, motivated to work, then maybe that dog can get a little more from column B. But um, the value of the stuff from uh, that engages you with the dog, that it's all the kind of enrichment that involves interaction is really the kind of stuff that we see building relationship. And, you know, we use that word often, but uh, it's all about a dog who wants to work, a dog who wants to listen and finds it fun. You know, that's, we, we're trying to teach our dogs that listening is a lot of fun and uh, there's, you know, there, there's a lot of value in it. And if you are giving your dog two and a half hours of snuffle mat time uh, and they're a dog who doesn't, isn't really that keen on listening in the first place, you, you could, you're just not doing yourself a uh, you're doing yourself a disservice mm-hmm. at that point. And um, I, I really like that article uh, the, or the uh, the uh, image that you created. I guess it's an infographic. Um, yeah. I think it was. It, I remember seeing it. I'll, I'll try to find it after this, after this we record this and I'll post it, uh, post a link to it in the show notes below. If it's not there, then we can't find it. But uh, you can check them out either way. 
the T in meeting is teach. And, and I mean, it's maybe the most obvious, but um, possibly the most important when we talk about uh, teaching yeah. a dog to, to, uh, to listen, to have great skills. Absolutely. It's actually identifying that there is no natural desire in the dog to listen to words like sit or down or heal. It's taking the time to actually teach those behaviors and teach what they mean to the dog. If you think about the dog in a natural setup, the things that we ask them to do are generally fairly contrary to their nature. You know, if they're outside, their nature is going to tell them to put their nose down and sniff and follow their nose and, you know, follow that path to wherever. And then they might look up and go, oh, I'm all alone. You know, their nature is generally contrary to the things that we're trying to train. So we can't expect them to understand what our expectations are without us taking the time to teach. Um, and a lot of the times people really underestimate how quickly dogs learn things. And then they get frustrated with their dogs very quickly because they think the dog knows how to sit. For example, they've had success in the kitchen and, and they've said, you know, look how smart this puppy is. He's mastered sit already. And then they go to the park and there's three or four other dogs there and the dog has no idea what the sit cue means. And that's a very, very normal thing for a dog. And we need to be fair to our dogs and take the time to actually put in enough repetitions for them to clearly understand and then systematically add in the tough elements from there, which are the distractions and the environmental changes, etc. We need to be fair and take the opportunities that present themselves, but we also need to take extra time in our day to get in the repetition for our dogs. Such an important point. Um, the next letter in your meeting is insist. And, and I know that uh, the, the idea of insisting uh, that our dog do uh, some skill behavior or listen, uh, you know, might seem a little confusing, but it's also how we get to that point that we can insist that they listen, that they must come when called because maybe it's a life-saving skill yeah. when I'm using it in this situation. Let's talk a little bit about insist. Yeah, absolutely. And insist does not mean you're ruling with that iron fist. Insist means that you just mean what you say and say what you mean, and you have a plan to follow through if things don't go the way you expect them to. It doesn't mean that you need to be correcting every single behavior. It yeah. means setting your dog up to be successful to begin with and having something in the background or in the back of your mind that is a plan to move forward. So for example, if I ask my dog to sit and I don't get the sit, I would never just accept that and walk away. I need something that now says, hey, you know what? I, I was talking to you. I asked you to sit. Please sit. And in uh, in our life, that's a, a gentle placement into the sit. You know, we are, are very insistent with that. And it's a very powerful thing because a dog that is really distracted by things and the only thing you might have is the ability to get them into that sit with the placement – after a couple of placements, they're probably going to realize they're not getting to lunge at that other dog or person or whatever it happens to be, and they might actually decide to check in with you at that point to see what on the, what on earth it is that you want from them, and then you have the opportunity to say, you are such a good dog for paying attention here, and now you're holding that sit. I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to give you a really awesome cookie for doing that, and then that value starts to starts to appear. So the dog starts to think, oh, if I make this choice or if I pay attention to you, better things happen. I didn't get to get to that dog or distraction anyways. And then training starts to form. But a lot of times what happens is we head out into the real world and we get overwhelmed with the real world. Our dog gets overwhelmed with the real world. And then we don't have a plan 
we don't have a backup. So we ask the dog for something and we don't get it and we go, oh, I don't know what to do now. And through that, and unfortunately through that rehearsal, the dog learns that they don't necessarily have to pay attention to the words that come out of your mouth because there's no real reason for them to do so. They'd much rather be staring and lunging at that other dog. Yeah. And uh, to, to go back to the T that we just talked about, you don't want to be teaching your dog that they don't have to listen when a car drives by or Brilliant. they don't have to listen when another dog is uh, is on along on their own walk. You know, you want to be yeah. teaching them. Uh, that they need to listen. Absolutely. And that happens through repetitions of success, as well as us saying, I'm going to insist here, you were wrong, I'm going to make sure that you get it right, and then reassessing and moving forward with your travel plan or training plan, pardon me. Well, and just to reiterate, you know, we, from the beginning, you want to be setting your dog up to be successful. And there is a teaching phase and a testing phase. And if you're not sure, Mm -hmm. you're in the teaching phase, you know, it's when you're very confident that you go into the testing phase and you're your dog's more likely to make a mistake. But before that point, you're doing your best to make your dog be right. Yeah, absolutely. And have that plan in place so that you know what you're going to face that day. There's always going to be variables and obstacles that pop out that you're not expecting. But at least if you have a little bit of a training plan and sort of a forethought in your head of what you're going to do, if then else, you're going to be so much better off. Yeah, and moving along, uh, in that idea of teaching phase versus versus the testing mm-hmm. phase. Part of the teaching phase is new challenges, and and that's the N in your uh, acronym. The new challenges. We need to talk about why that's so important in in your dog's training. Yeah, absolutely, and. Think about all of the new challenges that are going to be presented to the dog. They get stacked very easily. And a lot of the times we don't really think about that as humans because it's not as hard for us to contend with as it is the dog. But even just thinking about the idea that you are in a quiet location first, teaching those skills, and now you want to add distraction to that location. So I might be teaching things in my house to start with. If I have a young dog or a fairly green dog, I'm going to start in a really quiet location. I always say the white room. Nothing going on whatsoever while I start teaching the sit. Then I'm going to add in mild distractions. So I might put something in the corner of the room that's enticing to the dog, but I'm going to make sure that he can't actually access it because I don't want him to be reinforced by the wrong thing. Which is such an important point and a mistake a lot of people make. It is. Yeah, it's really important. And that all that all sort of feeds into not allowing the dog to think that you're not valuable. So if I put a distraction in the corner of the room and then he's able to go and get that distraction and play with it, I'm really not gaining anything myself and he's not uh, progressing with his training. So I'm going to put that thing in the corner of the room. It might be a little container of food. And then I'm going to have a leash on my dog so that I can keep control and I'm going to work skills that I want my dog to understand despite that distraction in the corner of the room. And then as he shows that, you know what, I can sit like a champ despite that Uh, that little food container in the corner of the room, I might add a toy to the room. And then when he says, I can sit like a champ when that's present, I might bring a person into the room or something. I'm basically going to incrementally build on distraction. And we talk about this theme so, so much because it is so important. I really like that systematic way of helping the dog bridge one gap to the next, to the next, to the next, rather than trying to overwhelm all at once. So those new challenges, I tend to think about those in terms of adding distraction 
to an environment. We um, uh, talk a lot about the three Ds in our training, distance, distraction, and duration. Mm -hmm. When you talk about increasing the challenge in your meeting acronym, you speak specifically about distraction. Why would you choose that as the first one in your uh, dog training efforts? Why is distraction a good one to start with uh, when you're training this new dog training? Yeah, it will help your dog realize that they're right despite that distraction. So, and the more you can do that, the more you can have a successful moment with your dog. When they, we use food in training because it's a really quick and easy currency to give to our dogs. And what we're looking to do is create a little bit of an endorphin rush. When they do something right, we want to be able to pinpoint that with something that makes them happy. And that's one of the things that food will accomplish with that. So eventually where we, what we do is we get to a point where the endorphin rush happens without the value being there. They, the, the skill itself starts to take on the value that that food would have, for example. But the key to making that work is you have to get in enough repetition that the value itself transfers. If you do two sits, if you get two successful sits in the house where your dog is um, sits brilliantly, no distractions really, and then you try to take that on the road there's not going to be the value transfer there yet. There's not going to be that endorphin process where you now are out on the road and you say sit and your dog has that same willing desire to do it right because of that endorphin rush. So we need to spend enough time in the teaching phase before we get to the testing phase that our dog actually has value for the exercise itself. And then we can move on. One of the things I really like about um, using distraction as a challenge for my dogs or, you know, students' dogs is how the, your ability to control it you can very quickly and easily make it uh, more difficult uh, a little bit easier um and you, you can still have great timing. Timing is so important in your dog training. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about increasing distance or in, to a lesser degree duration, um, it's harder to have great timing when you're five feet away from your dog. Yeah. But with a distraction, if I know my dog loves tennis balls, maybe I bring out a, you know, a hard ball or a hockey ball or something that's not a tennis ball first. And then, as Shannon mentioned, with that sort of a incremental uh, increase, now then I can bring out a tennis ball and I'm still close to my dog and I can help them to be successful, but I can... Uh, easily staircase my way up the, the uh, challenge ladder, yeah. uh, um, to, allowing my dog to be reinforced for good choices, but being right there if they make a mistake. Absolutely. And what is important is that your dog gets to make a choice. So we um, we spend some time showing our dogs how to get into a position or how to do a certain thing. So we'll use food a lot to lure in the early stages of the behavior. But we very quickly get rid of the food in terms of that lure because we don't want the dogs to become reliant on it. And this is where sometimes people will see the first little bit of, a, a, of an exercise and they don't realize that they have to get rid of that food in terms of the lure pretty quickly. Now, that doesn't mean that we get rid of the reward. We still reward our dogs for a long time. Before we start taking that food away or going to a random reinforcement schedule, we spend a lot of time saying, you're right, you're right, you're right, and you've earned a reward. But the key is in the timing. So once my dog understands how to get into the position that I'm looking for, and that's what I would use the lure for, I need to make sure, and I know we talk about this a lot, but it's so, so important, and it's still, it seems to be the the hole in a 
lot of foundations. It's so important to now go to a little bit of a different timing where you might signal a sit, then mark with yes, then go to your pocket or your bait pouch to pull that treat out. So literally it is not in the picture until you've got the behavior you want from your dog because now it's a reward, right? It's like earning the paycheck for having gone to work for the last two weeks rather than somebody saying, here's your paycheck in advance. Now, hopefully you'll show up for the next two weeks. This is exactly why people struggle with food training. They have, they have they have poor timing. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, I want you to be very aware of your timing when it comes to rewarding with your dog with food. All of the things, all of the effort we put into training our dogs, training students' dogs, is to eventually move away from having a food reward. But you need to have good timing and you need mm-hmm. to know uh, at what stage you can start to, you know, doing your signal or lure without food in your hand or rewarding your dog directly from your bait pouch or maybe a random reward. Um, and uh, one of the ways that you can get specific information for your dog is from our online training programs. You know, we have two online training programs, Puppy Essentials for Dogs Under Five Months and Life Skills for Dogs Over Five Months. And we give people very specific advice for their dog. Maybe you can talk just for a moment about some of the things where, you know, a student might reach out to you, Shannon, and say, like, I'm having this, this problem. How can they communicate and how can you com- communicate with them how to fix it? Yeah, absolutely. So we we actually have uh, fully supported programs. They are, you get to interact with us quite a bit in our programs. It's fantastic. We get to know our online students so, so well. It's been a wonderful experience to get yeah. to know people all over the world. We have um, a support group where people will post questions six days a week. We have a t- almost 24 hour post or almost six days a week. We have 24 hour posts. Yeah. Monday to Thursday is 24 hours. And then Friday, Saturday is a little bit shorter. Sundays, we take the day off. But basically you have access to our trainers six days a week to ask your questions and no questions ever go unanswered. You also have an opportunity to meet with us every week. In addition to the training videos that are in the program that take you through everything from step one to a finished product and all of the skills, in addition to that, we put on supplemental classes every week. So we'll meet by Zoom with all of our uh, Puppy Essential students, for example, and talk about nipping, you know, or talk about house training or crate training, troubleshooting, and we'll do deep dives into all these different topics. Topics, uh, instructor Kale, Instructor Steve, myself. Um, we we spend lots of time every week with those Zoom calls and building, you know, building Zoom calls based on the questions through the week as well, so that we're hitting on topics that the students really like. And we get to know your dogs on that first name yeah. basis. We get to see your dogs, uh, which is really fun for us. Uh, you know, I love the end of the calls. Actually, if you if you aren't a student, uh, I'm going to say this as a bit of a surprise, I guess for if you decide to go on our programs, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I really do enjoy those calls and seeing where everyone is in their training. So check out the links in the show notes below. If, uh, if you have a dog under five months, you're looking for training and a dog over five months in our life skills program. Now the G in meeting Shannon generalize, and this, this is so important. And you know, anyone who's watched our YouTube channel, who's listened to our podcast has used, hear, hear us, heard us use the term dogs don't generalize well. Um, which is precisely why you need to focus on it when it comes to 
your, your meeting acronym. So let's talk about what generalized means when your our average dog owner is applying this to their dog's training. Well, and without it, we'd just be meeting. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a meeting apostrophe and then we can figure out what the apostrophe <laughs> would stand for. I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> so generalize is the idea of getting out to different locations and exposing to different distractions. And that is what we started with new challenges. Um, but now we need to take it on the road. And this presents a challenge in and of itself. And last episode, we actually talked about spring, springing. <laughs> spring has spring sprung. And that is such a challenge for new dogs because the environment changes so drastically. And it can be tricky because it's the environment they're used to in a lot of situations. So even their backyard is completely different. But getting out to different locations, exposing to different things, and just having your dog generally accept things in the environment as either off-limits distractions or safe, but things they don't need to worry about, and being able to respond to you in any situation is such an important thing. So, so crucial. They don't know the difference between a dangerous situation and a not so dangerous situation. And we need our come command to work regardless. So we need to make sure that we're practicing it out in the front yard. We're practicing it at the park. And then I go to a lot of strip malls when I'm working with my young dogs because there's all sorts of, there's traffic, but you can stay in quieter areas. There's people usually, but you can keep away. There's not other dogs to contend with. And I find it's just a really nice extra push with lots of extra distractions, but without too much challenge. I don't have to be right in the thick of things. Whereas with a park, I might at any point have someone come wandering over with a dog into my space, which would then compound too many distractions for me and my dog, set us up to not get it right. So I want to make sure that I pick and choose locations and environments that my dog can work in, but I also want to make sure that I am challenging a little bit tougher of an environment each and every time. Again, those increments are so important. Yeah, maybe now's a good time for for some of these uh, opportunities to go out and train our dogs because we're socially distancing. I've said before that uh, this is probably the best thing that can happen to dog training because dogs aren't going to be overwhelmed by people because people have to maintain a certain distance or should be. Mm -hmm. Um, When you talk about generalizing going to the strip mall, the strip mall is going to be uh, a lot less busy. So you can really be aware of the distractions. You know, one place that um, Kayla and I took Beeline, because when she was quite young, she hadn't spent a lot of time in an urban setting. So we went down to the lake uh, just uh, you know, 20 minutes from here. And uh, it was relatively busy, but it was an opportunity for us to, you know, uh, if we want, if she was doing well, we'd go from, uh, you know, away from the lake where there were fewer people down into the, the parks and in, in, in where there are lots of people. Uh, so we had an opportunity to do that. She was very successful, great little dog. We, she was getting great information. Kale was, you know, we were being very sure of every step that we took. But then we just went and sat outside of like an ice cream shop. And I mean, I love ice cream. If you've <laughs> seen the YouTube channel or heard me talk about anything, I'm a, I'm a, I have a sweet tooth. But it was a good uh, place for us to adjust our distance. If she were, you know, if she, if she looked like she was, you know, confident and comfortable as people went by and checking in with us and making a great choice to remain in that sit, then we could reward her or praise her. But these are the kinds of opportunities that you want to think about. Maybe there's some place in your hometown or in your city or wherever that gets a little bit of foot traffic that is, has also got, you know, a nice stretch of uh, sidewalk mm-hmm. or, or 
boulevard that you can uh, adjust your distance and be successful with your dog. But what's so vitally important is that your dog knows that a sit-in at your side is the same whether you're in front of that store or you're at the park or you're in your front yard or you're on in the lobby of your apartment building that sit means sit means sit means mm-hmm. sit. And uh, that is the kind of generalizing that's can be applied to all of your skills and allow you to be more successful, go more places with your dog, do more with them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so important to get in that experience as well. Uh, going back to the idea that generally when we are training our dogs, we're asking them to do things that are contrary to what their their nature would tell them to do. This is what generalizing is all about. They, yeah. If they get to a new location, their instincts tell them to survey the scene, make sure they're safe. And we're asking them to ignore that instinct and pay attention to us instead in some of these situations. So it's so important that they've had experience knowing that they're going to be safe doing that and that we've got them. Absolutely. Um, great, great words to, to uh, end the podcast on. I think it was a, a nice summary. And now, uh, as I mentioned, I'm going to drop the uh, acronym in the show notes below so you can check it out. The meeting acronym. I think it's another great invention uh, from Shannon. Uh, <laughs> and actually, Shannon uh, has posted all kinds of great content on her Facebook page. So uh, if you're looking for more kind of infographics and uh, uh, you know, all, all kinds of great training advice in like kind of condensed format, mm-hmm. Shannon. Yeah, I it, think so. That's really, a good way to put it. A lot of the stuff is quite visual and I, I like that kind of uh, learning and I like that kind of uh, uh, reference material and resources. So um, check out our Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com slash McCann Dog Trainers. I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, thanks for stopping by. On that note, I'm Ken. I'm Shannon. Happy training, guys. Bye for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.